And that's really a class issue, and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning, everyone, and happy Sunday. Morning. Hey, what's going on? Hey, guys, happy Sunday, Facebook Live. Jackie, Alyssa. Hello. Hey, good, good to be here. Yes. So we, we survived the weekend. Literally, yes. We survived the weekend. Stanley's not here because he's shooting he's Hangover 3 he's in, in Vegas. A, he's with his Bible study group <laughs> in Las Vegas for the Bible convention. He's literally at a bachelor bachelor party. So, like, he's being so, like, funny on Instagram. But um, we're here, and this is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk social issues, politics, and foreign policy from a diverse millennial perspective. Uh, right here on H- WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill, and you can find me on on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill, and I spell that with an M S. Um, hi everybody. Um, hi. I'm back. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, oh, I missed yeah, my cue there. I wasn't here last week. Yesterday, oh, it um, feels like yesterday. I, I'm, I'm glad we were not on the air yesterday. Me too. Um, because I was very busy brunching, and it was really good because you have to go to brunch in Brooklyn. You know how that works. Yeah. Um, of with all the hipsters. Um, but it's okay because I had a lot of crispy pork that I was very happy um. with. Uh, but anyways, um, you know, since I'm Jewish and having crispy pork, <laughs> I'm probably getting in trouble for that. No, not really. Um, and you can, uh, you know, but I should tell you who I am. Yeah, I'm just like <laughs> another Jewish lawyer <laughs> who eats pork. And uh, you can find me. My name's Alyssa Fuchs. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's Alyssa with an I. Uh, or you can leave a comment on the politically preposterous fan page and i'm also on twitter at Alyssa fuchs also with an i um where i you know regularly tweet at the governor and the president and other people who drive me crazy i heard a rumor that you were you were roy moore's jewish lawyer oh yeah that's yeah, yeah. you're the one um I, I you know that's actually funny you bring that up because i heard roy moore's jewish lawyer one isn't actually jewish and two voted for doug jones and but yeah. campaigned <laughs> for doug jones right? yeah that's, um, nice. that's really funny but you are a professional troller yeah, yeah, a little Alyssa, bit. Alyssa a little trolls bit. a little bit. Yeah, um, and I I don't troll as much, but I'm Jackie Cohen, and you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Jackie Cohen with a Q. Um, and I'm happy to be back here. It's been a long week, guys. It's this week has you seem tired. Me. I'm tired. I'm not feeling Sickly. great. I know. I I've seen better days. I'm like a damaged woman coming oh into the studio to this morning. So. I, I was gonna out, like something says don't out whatever you think you have. Oh my god. Well, I don't think I'm like contagious. I think I'm just <laughs> exhausted. I don't even have makeup on this morning, so I look extra. I think you look good. tired. Thanks. Thank you. Alyssa. Yeah, Thank I'm you. ready to die as well. But um, <laughs> before we die, yeah, before we die, the show you guys must please go not on. die on us today. Um, try. We'll try. So we have a great show lined up. We're going to start the show off with some fun and not so fun news stories that have been happening or are happening literally right now. We're probably we're going to talk about Trump's latest Twitter war against oh, a very God. famous rapper um, that's going on right now. But um, before we get to that, we have other news stories. And then later on in the show, we actually have a very special guest who will be calling in to talk about the Poor People's Campaign 2018, like the revamp version. You know, this is something that Dr. Martin Luther King launched in 1968, and the mantle has been passed on to a, a phenomenal group of organizers and activists. And we'll talk about that here on Let Your Voice Be Heard when our guest 
calls in. And of course, guys, if you want to call in, feel free to call us up at 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at beheard underscore radio. And you can leave comments at facebook.com. I, I don't know this one. <laughs> Facebook.com backslash let your voice be heard. Cool. Yeah, no, absolutely, guys. So, of course, guys, don't be shy. Leave those comments. Um, let us know you're listening. And whatever you have to say, um, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're starting the news roundup right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Um, we just came back from a little break. Listen did we? Did we? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we're back. We're back from a break. Um, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my co-host, Alyssa Fuchs and Jackie Cohen. I'm sitting in Stanley's seat because he's shooting The Hangover 3 or 4 right now <laughs> in Las Vegas at his bachelor. He's shooting the black version of The Hangover at his bachelor party. It's not his bachelor well, party. not his friend's it's bachelor party. His friend's bachelor party. He's posting a lot of really funny pictures on Instagram. Yeah. And he recommend. keeps saying he's at like a Bible study. Yeah. Okay. He's like, we are. He, there's a picture that he posted of him and they're at like a shooting range with like big guns. Yeah. And he's like armed with the Lord's <laughs> love. <laughs> he did say uh, you that. You know, I'll tell you one place he's probably not and it's Steve Wynn's casino. Uh, yeah. Oh. Because apparently there's a boycott going on. I'll just throw in this short little story yeah. so after weeks and weeks and weeks of republicans yelling about how democrats should return harvey weinstein's money it now turns out that literally somebody on the gop's board steve Wynn, who is a hotel and casino billionaire or millionaire or something like that has now been accused of sexually harassing many many women yeah, and shocked. of course the republican party has nothing to say of about that of course and that reminds me this is we're in the news roundup right yeah so it's time for us to talk about stories like that that made us laugh cry over the past week uh made us really happy or infuriated and of course if you want to chime in you can call us up at 212 Six five zero six nine zero three, or you can tweet us at beheard underscore radio, or you can leave a comment on our Facebook live feed, which we will likely read on the air. Yeah, do um, it. Especially yeah. if it's not, uh, you know, something ridiculous. No, I mean, hey, or we might is, we, we might mean, read something if it's ridiculous, ridiculous. I'm sure we will, read but it. we will not curse <laughs> or you know violate any FCC yeah, rules or yeah. say any uh, you know repeat any of your racist comments. So. Fingers crossed on that. Yeah. So uh, speaking of different stories, um, Alyssa just brought one up. Uh, we know that this past week, the New York Times released another expose, a story revealing that Donald Trump did try to fire Robert Mueller just a few weeks after Donald Trump fired James Comey and Robert Mueller started working as a director of the FBI and started leading the investigation into Russiagate. So what that means is that he probably has been trying to uh, impede justice like it's it, this could be a call of obstruction of justice i'll just throw it to you Alyssa, because you know speaking of the, the legality what are the implications of ronald trump 
trying to fire again another head of the FBI. Well, I mean, listen, he obviously didn't go through with it. So that obviously cuts in his favor because, yeah. um, you know, it's like, OK, he thought about it and then he didn't do it. However, it doesn't particularly help when there's literally the person who's investigating you for obstruction of justice and you might try and fire them um, because, you know, of course, that's not obstruction of justice. I say that sarcastically. Um, so obviously it's a good thing that he did not go through with firing Mueller. But at the end of the day, it's just another little piece of potential evidence against him in the obstruction inquiry. That said, it also sort of reminds me of a little skit from SNL last oh, week or okay. last Saturday, which was, and does yeah. anything even matter anymore? Yeah, that's like how I feel about it, right? Like, does it even matter? Are people going to feel outraged by this at all? I mean, I think what was most interesting about the story for me was that he didn't do it, right? He, he told his legal counsel at the White House to to fire Robert Mueller and his legal counsel said no and if you make me do it like I will resign before I do it and Trump was sort of surprising that he was you know that he like listened to somebody's advice and didn't go ahead and do the disastrous thing but I agree like does this even matter are people going to feel outraged about it like I'm I'm listening to a podcast about Watergate right now and the whole premise of this is did people know that Watergate was sort of happening like and was it was you know did people understand the magnitude of it while it was happening and at some point there was a shift and people did right and I don't see that happening here I don't see people you know if, if anything they're normalizing it and they're just sort of numb to it I mean, no, you're absolutely right. It's like, I don't think anything really matters. I mean, in the same week, well, past few weeks, we've been seeing things unfold with Stormy Daniels, the porn star that Donald Trump allegedly paid off to keep hush, to keep silent after he had an affair with her. I think when Barron, his latest, his new, his uh, youngest child was only three months and he was like, of course, married to Melania. And it's like, yeah, the president had an affair with a porn star. It's like that news just came and went, and it's like off no to, one even knew. Do you guys yeah. remember when there was a huge scandal because Obama wore a tan suit and it like or went mom on for jeans? Like three yeah, weeks. I remember like, that. Do you right. remember the huge scandal where they tried to impeach Bill Clinton over having an affair with Monica Lewinsky? Well, I mean, I mean in theory, they tried to impeach him for lying under oath about yeah. having right, the affair. Right. But you know, listen, it, it, it's it was like, like things like of this magnitude used to actually be a big deal, but now under the Trump administration, it's just like, oh, that's. That's what happened today. <laughs> Hopefully right. we won't be in a nuclear war it's, tomorrow. It's not any more outrageous than anything yeah. else coming out of that office. So it's it is. And, you know, it's like we've become almost numb to it. I mean, like we've become numb to a lot of things. Like there was a school shooting this week yep. that happened and yep. two kids died. And I think that story didn't get as much coverage. Like we all got that push well, alert you from know, the New York Times and that absolutely. was it. That story didn't get that much coverage because, you know, it wasn't a brown person that was shooting up the school because apparently right, right. Donald Trump, you know, when somebody drives a car, uh, you know, on a bike path in New York City and it's a brown person right. with a Muslim sounding name, Donald Trump is tweeting, you know, in a half a second before he even has all the facts about how we have to protect, uh, um, uh, you know, the American people from terrorism and how we have to do all these things with immigration and, you right. know, have Muslim lands and stuff. But, you know, whenever some white person goes to a school and shoots shoots it up it's like silence right. literally it's, radio they're not a terrorist you know because yeah. guns and mental illness but yeah so uh speaking of all the craziness larry nassau has actually been sentenced to i think it was over 100 years 175 years i think yeah up to 175 up to years. 175 years in prison for sexually abusing a number of a u.s gymnast 
for decades. And yeah. like the details that came out were devastating. Like he was literally like aroused and not using a glove and like putting his finger. Oh, and doing in their things. Vagina. Just, yeah, just just molesting young yeah, girls. Yeah, molesting young girls. That's I mean, the, like hundreds. It's like, oh, allegedly. hey, let me check out your hamstring. Yeah, no, and. And what was amazing was that during the sentencing for his, you know, after he had been found guilty and this was during his sentencing, um, I think over 100 women came out and spoke um, at his sentencing, read letters describing their abuse and uh, the judge let this happen. And Alyssa, is this typical for a judge to let? No, this is not typical at all. In fact, actually, some people are saying that the judge should not have done this because she sort of interjected herself in a sort of a non-neutral way. Um, But, you know, at this point in the proceedings, he's already pled guilty. He's being sentenced. So it's not really like the judge can have any kind of bias. Right. um, Like you could say might happen at a trial. I mean, at the end of the day, anybody who's a victim has the right usually to come give a victim impact statement during a sentencing. So if there's 160 victims, then why shouldn't all of them be able to come, uh, you know, give their piece about what happened? So I I think it is sort of unprecedented. It doesn't sort of happen like that usually. But also the sheer number of victims that he had was also unprecedented. Absolutely. Um, But even more outrageous about this whole thing is the fact that the it looks like the University of Michigan knew that this thing kind of thing was going on for a long time and didn't do anything about it. It looks like the um, USA Gymnastics uh, knew about this kind of thing going on for a long time and didn't do anything about it and didn't protect any of the girls. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be what ends up coming out of it. And that's going to be a bigger story that I think we'll have more time to talk about on a later show. Yeah, definitely. It's like, you know, it's we're just starting to enter a phase where we're starting to believe women because these young girls were speaking out uh, for years. I know, right? It's 2018. Well, hold on, guys. So uh, last but not least, um, I know Donald Trump has been tweeting Jay-Z, not some nice things. Alyssa, do you have that tweet? You want to read it? Or should I read it? Um, I, I don't know. Th- I don't have the exact okay, have in front of me. You read I have it. it. <laughs> okay. So Donald Trump literally tweeted about three hours ago, and I quote, somebody please inform Jay-Z <laughs> that because of my policies, black unemployment has been reported to be at the lowest rate ever recorded. Okay. So he's taking what? shots at Jay-Z, and he's talking about black unemployment. But here's the thing. But Donald Trump has been in the presidency for like one year All of these, like the results of lower uh, unemployment rates for black people and Hispanic people and Americans in general are the result of years of policy, like years of uh, different things put into practice under Barack Obama. He can't take credit for this. Right. No, absolutely not. I mean, listen, I will say he is right. Black unemployment is at the lowest rate that it's been in a really long time. And that's a good thing. But as Selena pointed out, one, he shouldn't get credit for it because he hasn't been in office long enough for his policies to really take hold for him to be able to get credit for it. And number two, and we're going to talk about this at length in our next segment, the income inequality gap is still so large. So it's like, okay, fine. More black people have jobs now than ever before, and that's good, but what are they getting paid? Are they all minimum wage jobs? Are they part-time jobs? Are people still in poverty? And the answer to that question is yes. Black poverty rates are still extremely high, uh, which I know we're going to talk about in in just a few seconds, so I don't want to jump ahead. But, Um, but, but, you know, like, that's why, and, you know, that's why this is so perplexing. And also, he probably shouldn't start beef with Jay-Z. Yeah, and also, this is not the first time he's taken credit for something that had nothing to do 
do with him by a long shot. I mean, just last week he was taking credit for the women's march. So, <laughs> like literally. I like, mean, and actually, you know, he can take credit for the women's march because it's certainly a, it, in response to him being in that office. But he was saying, you know, women should be celebrating. Like women should be. I don't know. Whatever he tweeted about. Yeah, like how he, he was, was like, endorsing the women's march. It's a beautiful day. Go yeah. out and protest. Not protest. Celebrate the fact that we have low unemployment. What world is he living in? In I, alternate I think reality. It's, I think obviously. It's that's called. It's called Kofifi. Yeah, that's the planet on which Trump, he resides. So Trump lives in a world of Kofifi. On that note, we're gonna take a quick break, but don't go anywhere, guys. We have a very special guest who will we will be announcing on air with us, and we're gonna be talking about the Poor People's Campaign. You know, talk about unemployment. So this thing goes very, very deep, and we're gonna talk about it. This is Let Your Voice be heard and we are back this is let your voice be heard right here on whcr 90.3 fm the voice of harlem again my name is selena hill i'm here with my co-host jackie cohen and Alyssa fuchs what what stanley fritz is in vegas smoking legal weed <laughs> smoking maybe, maybe i don't know not. what he's doing right. he will not guns. he will not uh confirm or deny that right yeah. yes he won't uh thank you says our lawyer um but yeah so we just wrapped up the news roundup now we're going to talk about inequality in america why because it is growing uh, so according to inequality.org the top one percent of america's income earners have more than double the sh- their share of the nation's income since the middle of the 20th century so the nation's highest 0.1 percent of income earners have seen their income grow uh, 7.5 times between 1973 and 2007. Meanwhile, 64 million American workers earn less than $15 an hour and live below the poverty level. But this is not a new issue in our country. In fact, back in 1967, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King announced plans to launch the Poor People's Campaign. And he did this saying that we're going to organize and mobilize people towards transformative actions that would end poverty, racism, and uh, militarism in America. So later that year, um, excuse me, and then in 1968, the following year, uh, they were actually, you know, launching the campaign. And we know in April of 1968, that was when Dr. King was assassinated. But before he was assassinated, he was meeting with different groups across the across the Western Hemisphere, uh, who and they really wanted to unite on the front of tackling poverty from a multiracial, multi-religious, and multi like multi everything background, right? So he was meeting with um, leaders in Mexico and in different parts of America. And honestly, I mean, if you ask me, I think that because because he was meeting with people beyond like the African-American community. And he was like, we're going to take down poverty, which affects poor white people, poor black people, poor Latinos. I think the government, that's when they were like, we, we have to take this leader out because that was in a huge threat to capitalism and also to a number of uh, systematic ills, white supremacy and uh, a number of other things. Just the things that uh, are pretty much the fabric of our country. He wanted to tear that down. So 
He died, but the Poor People's Campaign was still carried on um, through a number of other leaders in the civil rights movement. Uh, uh, Coretta Scott King, she continues to talk about poverty. She actually called poverty uh, violence. <laughs> like wow, she, yeah. Yeah, like she, she made a, a few, uh, some a profound statements about the state of poverty. And she talked about that as well. But now we're here today in 2018. And actually, uh, just to scale it back, last month uh, on, uh, I think it was December 4th, 2017, Reverend Barbara, Barbara and a number of other organizers and activists, they launched the new Poor People's Campaign basically to carry that mantle. Now, the name of the campaign that's going on right now, it's called the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And it has united tens of thousands of people across the country to challenge the evils of systematic racism, poverty, the war economy, and um, ecological devastation, as well as the nation's distorted morality. So they're doing a lot of big things, and we actually have a very special guest on the line, uh, Barbara Smith, who we will introduce uh, formally in just a few more moments. Before we do, I just want to ask the panel, Alyssa, Jackie, you know, when it comes to poverty, what would you say, how would you define poverty? Like, who are the poor? What is poverty? I mean, obviously, that's a complex question with a complex answer. But, you know, anybody who's underneath the poverty line is currently living in poverty. And if you want to look at an even bigger picture, you can say that 99 percent of the people living in America, even though not in poverty, are holding only one percent of the wealth, where one percent of Americans are holding 99 percent of the wealth, which is sort of the catalyst for the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011. And so even though uh, they're not even though it's not a situation where 99 percent of Americans are below the poverty line, the fact that the income gap is so large uh, is what helps to perpetuate poverty, um, among other things, racism, classism, criminal justice issues um, and and, uh, you know, voting rights. Jackie, yeah. loaded question. Why is there poverty? Oh, why is there poverty? Well, because I think there is a power dynamic in this country that enables the one percent, the wealthiest um, few to hold on to power that the rest of the country does not. Right. And Absolutely. so there when you um, equalize that balance and sort of shift the the wealth from that very few um, that group of very few to the many the many then have much more power than they currently do and there's a power shift in this country so I think that's why certainly in 1968 when Dr. King was talking about this it was seen as such a big threat because he was talking about shifting the power of this country and taking power away from those that had it and giving it to the many. And that is seen by those that huge threat. Um, So it's not surprising that that would be seen as such a, such a threat to those who are in the 1%. No, no, absolutely. Uh, You know, it's definitely about um, power. So now I want to actually introduce our very special guest who we have on the line waiting very patiently. Her name is Barbara Smith. She's an author, activist, independent scholar, and a pioneer in the black feminist movement. Barbara served two terms on the Albany Common Council, and she currently works in the city of Albany's mayor's office, spearheading initiatives that address economic, racial, and social inequality. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you so much. So, you know, you've been uh, doing activist work for 
decades and you know the 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 results of your work are still being fed i mean felt today and have opened up so many doors even for like someone like me as you know a woman of color and now you know you've jumped on this campaign the poor people's campaign which is uh tackling poverty and all of the systematic ills that influence and have created poverty so i kind of wanted to ask you more about this campaign the poor people's campaign and why and how you um decided to become a part of it? Well, that's a big question. One of the things that I really love about the Poor People's Campaign is that it is mobilized around addressing poverty. And as some of your guests were saying a few minutes ago, that from income uh, inequality, from economic oppression, the other uh, kinds of oppression, uh, oppressions that we experience, they are absolutely shored up by that income inequality. They both uh, duplicate it and, and catalyze it, and then also uh, sexism and racism and homophobia and transphobia and xenophobia, they also play right back into the economic exploitation. So by addressing something that is so overarching and so massive, we have an opportunity to really look at what's going on in our society and what needs to change so that everybody has an, a chance for opportunity and can be and do their best. We don't have that society now, unfortunately. So I like the fact that it's a big picture kind of initiative. Um, Barbara, can you talk about some of the objectives of the Poor People's Campaign? Well, one of the major objectives is to both inform people about the fact that poverty does exist in the United States because many, many people think that that's not a reality. They don't understand and know the statistics that around half, a little under half of people in the United States are struggling on a daily basis to get by. They may not be officially, according to the federal government definition of poverty, they may not be at that level, which is about $24,000 a year for a family of four that no one could really successfully live in, particularly in New York City, <laughs> where things are so high and other cities like that where the costs are so high. But just think about the fact that somebody who's at $25,000 for a family of four, they're not living large either. So that's the first thing, to let people know that poverty is an ongoing major issue in our society. In fact, we might say it's, again, the overarching first cause, root cause issue, and that poverty is in many ways worse now than in 1968 when the Poor People's Campaign under Martin Luther King's leadership was uh, first started. The other major objective is to shift, to shift the moral narrative in this country about who is poor, why are people poor, uh, who has value, who is considered to be less than, it's to look at things a very different way. Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Miss Barbara Smith. She's a revolutionary author, activist, independent scholar, and a pioneer in the black feminist movement. Alyssa, I know you had a question about the Poor People's Campaign that she's now working on. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I think larger than that. So obviously, Selena brought up sort of at the beginning of this segment how Martin Luther King, part of what he did was to not just mobilize poor black people, but to also try and mobilize poor white people along with them. And the idea being that, um, you know, you could 
mobilize across race um, based on this class issue in order to take down powerful people. Um, now we're sort of in a situation, and, and without getting into the rehashing of the 2016 election, but there was a lot of people, or at least supposedly a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump in theory because they were white and poor and felt like he was going to come and quote unquote, make America great again. Um, when in reality, it seems like they really voted against their interests because when we look at these corporate tax cuts, which is um, as far as I can tell, the only legislative achievement that Donald Trump has had, these corporate tax cuts more likely than not are going to increase the wealth gap even more um, and, you know, help those people who are already rich become richer, but not necessarily help poor people. And so coming off of that comment, I guess the question is, uh, um, you know, how is it that you know, these people, poor white people can be reached and mobilized within the poor people's campaign like Martin Luther King wanted to do or was in the process of doing back in the late 60s um, today and sort of shift the conversation. Because it seems to me like a lot of poor white people continue to vote against their economic interests for racial reasons, uh, um, racial resentment. Um, and I'm sort of thinking, how do you guys think you can bridge that gap? Well, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about uh, in describing how the uh, votes in the 2016 campaign, how they have been analyzed, who voted for who. But I think that we have to be more, um, like, just uh, more detailed, more specific about who we're talking about when we talk about poor and working class white people, middle class white people, people, there's a whole range of people who are struggling and who are not benefiting from the current uh, policies and uh, who are also white. Uh, one of the things that we did in New York State is that we had a truth commission process last year. Truth commissions modeled in some ways after the truth commissions in South Africa, but our truth commissions focused on poverty and what people who came to testify, and we had three different hearings around New York State. Uh, the, what they focused on was what are the challenges that you face living in poverty as a veteran, as a uh, minimum wage worker in a fast food uh, uh, place, as a person who doesn't have health insurance all kinds of testimony, as a person living with disabilities, as a person who's been in home, homeless. So we had all kinds of people testifying around New York State, and we made sure that there were people of different racial, ethnic uh, backgrounds. And those white people who have flocked to the Poor People's Campaign, they actually absolutely know that their interests are not necessarily being served by the current okie doke that's going on. So I think it just depends on how do you approach people. We're having tomorrow evening in Albany, which is where I live, um, we're having our first capital region launch for meeting for the Poor People's Campaign. And even though that hasn't happened yet, I can guarantee you that it will be a very multiracial gathering because that's how we're doing our organizing. So we can't paint all uh, members of a group with a broad brush. I think that as time goes on and when people said about the tax bill that, yes, uh, some people might see some changes in their withholding and have a somewhat higher paycheck starting around now, uh, this year in February, but 
that when it comes time to deal with health insurance toward the end of the year, they're going to see all that disappear because of what they did to the Affordable uh, Care Act via that tax bill. So it's a, it's a, very, uh, a very growing process. Nothing happens instantaneously. So I just have full faith that because of the passion, the fervor, the clear uh, leadership that the Poor People's Campaign is operating with, that more and more people are going to gravitate uh, to looking at, let's let's look at poverty in a different way. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Barbara. We do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion about poverty in America and how the Poor People's Campaign is taking this on head on. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We have on the line with us a revolutionary author, activist, independent scholar and leader in the black feminist movement. Her name is Barbara Smith. And she's talking about the Poor People's Campaign uh, that's going on right here, 2018, to take on poverty. I understand we do have a question or comment coming in. Yeah, we have a comment. It's kind of long, so I'm just going to read a little portion of it. It's From, from Facebook? Uh, yeah, from Asha Ko, uh, who says, President Trump, yes, that's his German name, which it is, and he hates it, uh, is nothing more than a corporate dictator that is pushing our country every day more into a fascist police state. Um, and she goes on to say at the end, um, we already have suppression of the press. We can no longer allow fascist, sexist, racist, wannabe dictators to destroy our country and turn it into a corporate police state. And I'm really glad. Thank you so much for uh, leaving that comment. I'm really glad that you did because where we left off, we were talking about corporate tax cuts and how corporatism in America is one of the leading reasons why people are impoverished. It's because all the money goes to the rich, to these corporations, and resources are not being allocated to the most vulnerable people in our society. Yeah. And I know Jackie wanted to chime in there. Yeah. So I have a question for Barbara. Um, you had mentioned earlier that poverty now is worse than perhaps worse than it was in 1968. And I wanted to know if you could expand on that a little bit and talk about what what are the contributing factors in today's society that um, deepen that divide between rich and poor? Well, I think uh, income inequality, we really do have to look at that. Uh, we lo- have to look at uh, policy, too. Uh, this is not exactly an answer to your question, which I will get to, but when you are talking about how all this money flows to the 1%, that, um, that if it was allocated more fairly, that it would help to uh, alleviate poverty. What I would like to point out is if there was a, a true commitment to improving infrastructure in the United States, that is a massive infrastructure program about bridges, about roads, about buildings, about all those things that need such attention, and that are crumbling, that that would be a way of improving people's economic profile and situation as well. It wouldn't be because of social welfare. It would be because if we, tr- if we fixed everything that needed fixing, fixing on a civic level, that that would be a massive employment uh, boost for so many people. But um, the fact that uh, there are not policies that look at like that, like infrastructure uh, committing to and prioritizing infrastructure improvements as opposed to, for example, weaponry and militarism, because 
that uh, there's not that kind of a policy, uh, those kinds of policies and initiatives. People absolutely do feel that and fall through the crack. Well, cracks. One of the things that I wanted to make sure to be able to bring up uh, on uh, the show today is to look at the minimum wage because, as we know, there's been a robust fight for 15 all over the nation and also in New York State, and that was led and has been led often by people who work in fast food contacts and other businesses like that. And there have been some wins, particularly on the state level. But uh, when you look at the minimum wage now, which is still, I think, $7.25 an hour, and compare it to what the minimum wage in 1968 would be in 2016 dollars, it would have been above what it is now. It would have been $8.68 in 1968 dollars. So in 1968, then, the minimum wage was higher in spending power than it is now. What does that do to people who are trying to make do on it? There's another concept I wanted to bring out, which um, is one that I was introduced uh, to through the United Way, and that's a concept, uh, an initiative they have called ALICE, like the woman's name, ALICE. But ALICE stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. These are working people who may have more than one job, often have more than one job, but they have to make choices between the necessities of life, like rent, like food, like the car and then transportation, clothes, that they can't afford everything they need even though they are employed. They are asset-limited, income-constrained employed. So when you look at them, and they're not officially and it, and in poverty. Al- right, and it also affects medicine health care like they can't it's either food or medicine for a lot of these people um i i know that we wanted to chime in really quickly oh i mean i it's just wild to think that in 1968 the minimum wage in 1968 dollars was higher than it is today that's not something i've ever thought about but that's that's unbelievable um and i'm really happy that you brought up infrastructure i do think that we ha- you know we have crumbling infrastructure in this country particularly it feels that way in new york city um when you look at our mass transit system <laughs> and i think that that is a clear you know i think a, a country's priorities um can be seen in its infrastructure when its infrastructure is falling apart it, i think it's a symbolic it's symbolic of the society as a whole um so i'm really happy that, to hear you bring that up right no i mean i agree with that uh, listen the other thing that i wanted to add um was about uh, spending uh, you mentioned sort of about how much money we spend on the military um obviously there's a line from a tupac star song where he says we have money for war but we can't feed the poor um and we can look at this historically this isn't just today we spend more money on the military than the next like 15 countries combined 14 of whom are our allies and we don't and and yet people american people particularly those on the right complain about welfare spending as if we're really spending that much money on food stamps um you know when in reality the amount of money that is spelt, uh, spent on uh helping out people in poverty uh, is very very minuscule it makes up like less than one percent of the u.s budget whereas the military spending makes up something like a third of the u.s budget and if you look historically at this um to this back to the 1970s, LBJ had a real shot at ending 
um, or reducing poverty in a real way through his Great Society program. And what happened? Instead, um, Great Society failed because they diverted all that money into Vietnam and the money was poured into Vietnam, blood and treasure. um, And then the Great Society program ended without lifting people out of poverty. But if it would have continued, it would have lifted people out of poverty. And this is still the same thing we have today. So we constantly are pitting the military against poor people in this country um, when really that is completely a non sequitur. On top of the fact that when you look at issues like criminal justice and the large number of poor and black men that are incarcerated in the United States um, and the fact that our incarceration rates are so high, predominantly for nonviolent crimes, and that when people get out of prison, they can't get jobs because they have a criminal record, so then they end up recidivating and going back to prison. Um, And so you have to say all of these issues, mass incarceration, militarism, and the military industrial complex and the prison industrial complex are all also related to poverty. No, that's right. It's intersectional. And another thing that relates to poverty, uh, black feminists, black feminism. And I wanted to get your take on that, Barbara Smith, as we switch gears a little bit, because I want to know what makes this what makes poverty a black feminist issue? Well, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a moment, but I can't lose the opportunity to let people know how to connect with the Poor People's Campaign. There's a robust effort in New York State I'm one of the people who's on the coordinating group for the entire state. So I would suggest that anyone who's interested in finding out more, go to poorpeoplescampaign.org. That's the website, but you can also check to find uh, New York State Poor People's Campaign on Facebook. Uh, There are events going on all over the state on a regular uh, basis. Uh, Next week on February the 5th, there will be a letter delivered to the New York State Legislature about these issues just to put them on notice and also keep your eyes uh, and ears open for what's going to start happening in May. That will be the beginning on Mother's Day of 40 days of nonviolent direct action and civil disobedience. 40 days. And that's happening all over the country. Uh, 34 states have committed to doing that, so there's a lot that's coming uh, down, the, you know, down the path. Uh, and I hope that everyone will get uh, involved in some way to raise these issues around uh, the the crime of people being poor in such a rich nation. So black feminism, <laughs> um, I do everything as a black feminist. Everything that I commit myself to, I do it for my black feminist uh, uh, beliefs and my black feminist uh, commitments. When you look at the situation of women, and women of color in poverty, you see immediate uh, connections to uh, something called the Poor People's Campaign. There are so many ways that uh, when the multiple oppressions begin to snowball, that uh, women and often uh, people who are part of our LGBTQIA community, particularly trans uh, people, uh, transgender people, you see all of that just uh, snowballing with very, very detrimental, detrimental effects. Uh, trans uh, women of color are some of the poorest people and the most likely to be, be homeless in our nation. So obviously there are connections between gender, sexuality, identity, sexism, the fact that women are still earn just a proportion of what men earn on the dollar for the same kind of uh, work and the, and the same kinds of responsibilities. 
uh, in their uh, work. So there are a lot of connections between uh, between my black feminist politics of many, many decades and uh, these issues that we're addressing with the Poor People's Campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add on to it, if, if you think about it, you know, poor African-Americans, especially women, are suffering from racism and sexism. And that only amplifies um, poverty and to its maximum level. And then we had to deal with the stigma, um, black women being stigmatized as welfare mothers and welfare queens. Yes. So, you know, it, it, it's just it's multi-layered there and it definitely affects disenfranchised people the most trans people people of color women and if you happen to be all of those three uh yes it's disheartening good luck right and when you look at single headed uh households of women who are the single heads of households they are the most likely to be living in poverty why because if they are people of color uh they are discriminated against both by racism and by their gender and then they're living, and then they're poor. So there's economic oppression coming into play, gender and race, and it, the result is injustice. Um, Barbara, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Let your voice be heard, and of course for your activism uh, for decades, and now you um, fighting in the Poor People's Campaign. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, if you want to just give the website one more time to our listeners. Yes, it's poorpeoplescampaign.org. And just FYI, in 68, when the Poor People's Campaign was happening and also when Martin Luther King was assassinated, I was a college student in New York City. So I've been at this for quite a long time. Wow, yes, that is amazing. So thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to get any final thoughts from our panel about poverty and what we can do to fight it, to eradicate it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I th I'm really struck by the fact that, um, you know, just hearing that 1968 minimum wage in 1968 dollars, that the minimum wage was higher than it is today. And that income equality is worse today than it was in the 1960s is outstanding. It's unbelievable to me um, and that we haven't been able to make progress. And if anything, you know, the, the divide between rich and poor in this country has gotten worse. Um, but I think it's important to remember that poverty isn't just a, a happenstance. It's not something that just happens to you. It's systemic and it keeps the rich powerful and it keeps the poor disenfranchised. And I think that it's really important to remember that it's not just a case of bad luck. It's, it's a systemic thing that keeps the impoverished poor. And I think it's also important to remember that there are infinitely poor, uh, more people who are disenfranchised, who are poor, than there are wealthy, ultra-wealthy elite, right? Um, so I think that's really interesting to remember that there are more of, there are more people who are without than those who have. And I think ultimately that speaks to the grassroots power that this movement can have, that there are more people ultimately who can gain back power for themselves than there are who, you know, just have a lot of money. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll start there, which is there's there's strength in numbers and we have the people power. Um, but also just to go off of J Jackie was saying, nobody's poor because they bought an iPhone, despite what, you right. know, Jason Chavitz and other representatives uh, in Congress seem to believe. Um, you know, people are poor because of systemic issues and those systemic issues are interconnected. And yes, we have to focus as poverty as the root cause of all the other issues. But we also need to recognize that there are connections between uh, poverty, racism, classism, 
you know, sexism, uh, militarism, the prison industrial complex. And until we solve the issue of poverty, we're not really going to be able to tackle any of the other issues because of the way they are so interconnected. Um, And going off of that, we have to realize that, yes, we want to have good progressive people that are willing to fight for those of us, uh, you know, for the poor people and those at the bottom. At the same time, we can't continue to fight each other. We have to figure out as people on the left how to work together, even if we might have slight policy differences on something, because ultimately we cannot continue to lose elections. If we want to have legislative success and legislative power on top of the people power. We need to figure out how to mobilize that people power into votes and get people elected that are going to work for the people and help to solve these issues. Yeah. And I would just end by saying this, that one of the principles of the new poor people's campaign is, and I quote, poverty and economic equality cannot be understood apart from a society built on white supremacy. We cannot stress anymore how interconnected uh, poverty is with education, racism, sexism, um, transphobia, all of these isms that only hurt and marginalize people who happen to be extremely vulnerable in our society. And Dr. King knew this. He understood this in 1968. In fact, in his last Sunday sermon, he said, and I quote, we read one day, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But if a man doesn't have a job or an income, he has neither life nor liberty nor the possibility for the pursuit of happiness. He merely exists. And that is why we have to understand how this affects us all understand the fight for 15 understand not to stigmatize people and understand how poverty is literally impacting us as a society it's not just the homeless it's not just you know poor people that you may see in a certain like in a certain light but it's 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 larger than that it's a systemic issue it's oppression i've heard some people say that poverty is slavery poverty is violence it's it's something that shouldn't be and it doesn't have to be especially not in the richest country america that we live in and on that note i want to just thank everyone for listening today especially uh, i want to give a special thanks to barbara smith for calling in and talking to us about the poor people's campaign we thank everyone who chimed in on twitter and facebook and we want to let you guys know that if you want to support us so that we can represent you and the issues that you care about please give us a donation on patreon.com that's patreon.com slash let your voice be heard you can find our page there and if you donate you will keep us alive and well and definitely keep us on air so thank you for that guys on that note we do have to say goodbye but don't worry you can tune into the show via podcast on iHeartRadio, stitcher itunes and anywhere else that you find podcasts you can find let your voice be heard right there you can also find us on the web at lyvbh.com